Well, here's a little music chart trivia for you. It was 82 years ago next month that Frank Sinatra had his first huge hit, a heartbreaking ballad called I'll Never Smile Again. He provided the vocals for Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra, and the song became the first Billboard number one in the U.S., staying there for 12 weeks, starting on July 27th. It was a smash hit back in 1940, 12 weeks at number one. If you look at the songwriting credit for that song, there's only one name, Ruth Lowe. Ruth was from Toronto. She was only in her early 20s at the time. It was a song actually born of real tragedy and pain. She would go on to have a pretty successful career as a songwriter, but she would settle down and have a family not long after that. She even wrote another classic for Sinatra. And now her son is working on ensuring that Canadians are still aware, always aware of her great legacy, including, of course, that great song. Joining me now is Tommy Sandler, freelance photographer and son of Ruth Lowe. Thanks so much for your time tonight. This is very exciting. <laughs> it is. I mean, I, I think many people will recognize the song without perhaps knowing the, the history of it and just how Canadian it is. Um, tell, yes. me a bit about, tell me a bit about your mom and how she came to write such a, such a standard. Well, you know, it was really from some very large tragedies in her life when she was young and that, that kind of pushed her into uh, the music world and to make a living as a musician, she was a, a very gifted, natural musician and had a great talent. And uh, sadly, when my mom was 15 years old, her father uh, passed away, my grandfather, Sam. And uh, they were left alone at, in the 30s during the Depression. And it was my mom who was the older of the two sisters. She had a younger sister, my Aunt Mickey. And my grandmother, Pearl, and there was just very little. They had to put food on the table and pay rent. And my mom took it upon herself to get a job at 15 or 16 years old. And she was uh, demonstrating music in a little store in Toronto on Yonge Street called The Music Shop. And when musicians would come in to buy some uh, manuscripts of sheet music, <clears throat> there was no CDs or radio or you know record players. They actually had to hire a live musician, which was a good thing because it gave musicians jobs, I guess. And uh, it was a little bit different world. Um, at that time, um, she got her big break. Her first serious break was at that music store when uh, Ina Ray Hutton, who was the leader of the Ina Ray Hutton Orchestra, um, came into Toronto to play a gig. They had an 18-piece all-woman's jazz band, and their piano player couldn't get into the country for either, I'm not sure what the reasons were, but whatever it was, it opened up a huge door um, and, and Ina Ray called the Toronto Musicians Union and uh, they hooked up. My, she went down to listen to my mom playing and she just clicked with her. She said, this is a girl that's got some great talent. She's going to fit right in with the band. And, and Ina Ray actually offered her a full-time job to travel with the orchestra. And really, that's when my mom's career really started. Um, it was very difficult to decision to make to leave her mother and her younger sister uh, I think it was only 10 years old, and to go on the road. And um, everything was going great, and she was making big money, like probably 100 a week, <laughs> and sending it back to the family to still paid for everything. She met a guy in Chicago who she fell in love with. His name was Harold Cohen, and it was a blind date. He was a music uh, plugger. And they fell in love, and they got married. And everything was starting to just 
blossomed from my mom in her life. I, then tragically and unexpectedly, a year into their marriage, uh, Harold uh, passed away. And uh, uh, it was during surgery, apparently one night, and no, this was completely unexpected. <clears throat> and so within five years, uh, my mom had another uh, devastating tragedy in her life. And uh, that was actually the inspiration of, of the song. Um, she had moved back to Toronto and sat down one night at her piano, and she just played the way she felt. And, and um, uh, all of a sudden, in, in 10 minutes or so, this song was written, this beautiful little song, I'll Never Smile Again Until I Smile at You. And it was really written for, in memory of her, her, her first husband, Harold Cohen. How did it go from her piano in Toronto to the to Tommy Dorsey and Frank and Frank, and Frank Sinatra? Because, well, that was actually easy to be honest yeah. with you. Um, the, the song was recorded first at the CBC in 1939 by um, the uh, Percy Faith Orchestra. And Percy oh, wow. worked at, at CBC at that time. She had to do something to, when she came home. And she wrote the song and she took it in one day and played it for him. And he said, whoa, that's pretty good song. <laughs> and he recorded it. And they actually uh, played it on air the first time before Sinatra ever heard it. It was played on the CBC in Canada and, um, uh, and gave my mom the 78 of the demo, which I still have today, the original oh, wow. demo, 1939. Um, one thing led to another. My mom knew somebody who was dating a guy in the Dorsey band. <laughs> it's sort of that simple. Yeah. And um, Dorsey came to Toronto to play at the band shell every summer. And they came that summer. And uh, my mom asked, do you think there's any way I can have a meeting with Tommy Dorsey to let him hear the song? And that was set up. And uh, Dorsey had just hired Sinatra. And they had not had a hit song with him. And uh, they were looking for something that would just launch his career. And uh, it just happened to come along at the right time, my mom's song. And, of course, Dorsey said, that's an incredible song, and we're going to do this one. It was an unadulterated smash. It was a smash hit for the time, if I'm not, was, I'm not mistaken. It, it, yeah. it was huge. It was huge. And no, not many people in this country realize that, like, and it was the first song on the first Billboard chart in the history of Billboard magazine, the, the top 100. And that was held by a Canadian woman. And um, it was, there was all different categories, East Coast, West Coast, Central. And, um, and uh, it hit number one on every category and all the sheet music sales. It just took off like a rocket. And, um, and helped launch the career of a certain Frank Sinatra as well, did, to some it extent. Did, it did. Uh, Nancy Sinatra, who I've become friends with, um, we, we've just recently written a book on my mom's life. Uh, I should mention, I guess it's yeah. called Until I Smile at You. Um, and it's on Amazon. And we have a website, uh, Until I Smile at You.com. Uh, but we've asked, Nancy was gracious enough. She did the intro for the book for us. And, um, uh, it in fact did, you know, uh, it, it was, she said it was the perfect song at the perfect time recorded by the perfect artist. And that was right. It was to me, it was like a flashpoint in music history at that moment. It was just when the war had started. Many people were losing their loves and their husbands. And uh, and that's what happened to my mom. And she was 23 years old. And this is around the same age as, you know, the soldiers were going away and they were losing everybody. So it struck a chord in the nation. 
And uh, Dorsey was, of course, you know, like the uh, Sinatra, he said he was the General Motors of the big bands. Um, so there wasn't any, anybody bigger or better than that. Yeah. And they liked my mom. My mom was a very likable person and a great talent. And uh, they kind of loved what she was doing. And um, the rest truly is music history. I'm speaking with Tommy Sandler this half hour about his mom, Ruth Lowe. Um, she was the sole songwriter behind perhaps one of the most famous ballads of the first half of the 20th century, if not ever since, I'll Never Smile Again, which was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame back in 1982, but also gave Frank Sinatra one of his first big hits, uh, along with Tommy Dorsey back in 1940, the first number one hit on the Billboard charts, 12 weeks it stayed there, which is astounding for the time, the first the first big pop smash in in many ways, without, without exaggerating. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more just about what happened afterwards, and just how Canada should remember Ruth Lowe. That's next. My guest this half hour is Tommy Sandler. We're talking about his mom, Ruth Lowe, who is perhaps one of Canada's first successful, very successful songwriters, uh, Mm -hmm. responsible for a huge hit back in 1940, sung by Frank Sinatra, along with uh, Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra called I'll Never Smile Again. Uh, That was the birth of a a long relationship, was it not, Tommy, just between uh, your mom had written other songs, too, for Sinatra and others. What, What happened after I'll Never Smile Again to your mom's career, to her life? Obviously, she remarried. Well, yeah, yeah. No, her her career really took off, and uh, she was like, you know, uh, doing signings of autographs and and everything like that. And um, you know, finally, they had some money coming in, and uh, it was a good time to starting to happen to her. And um, she had a radio show in New York on uh, NBC Radio, uh, a, a live uh, radio show. She used to run a jazz nightclub in New York. I think it was the Murray room. It was called. She had some wonderful things happen to her in her life, but she, she gets a phone call one day from, from Frank. And uh, he says to her, um, Ruthie, um, how would you, I need a, a theme song. I need another song. <laughs> so I was, oh, this is great. You know, how, how often did this happen? So when, Sinatra calls you to write him a song, you know, you sit down and write a song for him. So um, she thought, okay, I'll get back to you in a little while. Okay. I got a few things uh, that might, might work. He says, well, the only hitch is uh, Ruthie is that uh, I need it tomorrow because <laughs> we're doing a live concert that he was starting a, a series of concerts. And um, he said, I, I, I want this for our, our, our theme song, you know, our signature song. So, you know, once again, it's Frank Sinatra. And so my mom got together with a couple of other, her buddies, Tin Pan Alley guys, and they hammered a song out and all night long. And they came up with a song called Put Your Dreams Away for Another Day. And it was a very, he, my mom says, what do, you, what do you think it should be? He says, well, make it sort of optimistic, you know, when you're saying goodnight to somebody and there's hope and stuff like that. And so they, this is a very optimistic song. It's Put Your Dreams Away um, for Another Day until... Uh, you know, um, and I will take their place in your heart. And he loved it once again. And he recorded it, became another huge smash hit for my mom. And he played that song and sung it every show he did for every closing of every show he did. And uh, uh, he was quite fond of my mom and her writing. And, uh, you know, he knew stuff and he, he loved uh, writers, Sinatra. In those days, you know, those guys didn't write their own music. Uh, you know, it was very rare. 
Well, your mom certainly handed him a few a few classics. Needless to that's say, that's for sure. That's for sure. And <laughs> we got great. some great stories. If I can just mention that the, our book again, which is "Until I Smile at You," and there's some great stories about about all this and how this all happened. And there's wonderful interviews from people like Bernie Taupin and Frank Sinatra Jr. That Peter uh, Jennings, who's the actual author of the book, was able to get in touch with, and and they were it's, it's it affected so many careers. You know that music. Um, it's been covered by every legend in jazz from Billy Holiday to uh, on down, you know, Fats Waller did a version of it. Uh, um, George Shearing, Dave Brubeck, Count Basie, Duke Ellington. <laughs> I'll never smile again. Yeah. We found uh, lots of it. It was but she smiled again. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. So what happened to her in her, like in her later, how did she, how did she see out her days and, and did, did she continue writing for a while? Did she eventually just hang up her pen? No, no. Well, I, I think, you know, she had a, it was, uh, it was all, all just fun and games, you know, I mean, there was, there was very deep tragedy and sorrows that led to the, to that song. And I think my mom wanted to have a, a more stable life and not have to be on the road and worry where your next gig or where your next meal was coming from. So she eventually, uh, wanted to settle down, and she, about three years later, in 1943, she uh, met my my dad, who was Nat Sandler, and uh, again, hooked up, fell in love, and um, she got married, and she decided to have a family and have kind of a middle-class, uh, leave-it-to-beaver kind of lifestyle, I guess. It was stable, <laughs> but it was very much not like a leave-it-to-beaver lifestyle with my mom. Because she couldn't, you, you you can't take that kind of talent and music and turn it off, and it like it didn't exist. So she always was playing and writing. Um, we lived in Toronto, grew up here. Uh, it was kind of not New York or Chicago, as you can imagine. There was really no music scene, jazz scene, anything like that. And she was used to that. She was used to the buzz and. You know, her pals were Tin Pan Alley songwriter guys, and um, she was constantly going to New York and, and constantly taking me with her when oh, I was younger. Um, and she would say, let's skip school for a couple of days. We're going to go down to New York and hang out with Duke Ellington. <laughs> I said, oh, OK, it sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, <laughs> why said, that's not? a real education. You know, no kidding. So and she always was very active and, and she played, you know, replayed songs and she rewrote songs and she left a, a, a stack of manuscripts and recordings and demos and stuff that I'm currently trying to sort of develop. It's constantly being played. So um, I think people can relate to it even more these days because everyone's going through some very rough times and losing people, especially during COVID and stuff. Do you have a favorite version? Tell me. Well, there's a lot of them I really like. I mean, you can't, I mean, I was blown away when I, well, I was blown away when I found the original recording by Percy Faith and it's pretty rough and scratchy, but that's a, you know, a piece of music history. Uh, I like the Platters version. That was very powerful. I like Joe Williams version very much. Um, and George Shearing did a great cover on it. I, I don't think there's one that I haven't, I don't like, to be honest with you, you know. But I always used to tease my mom because it was such a sad song. She always sit down at the piano when I was growing up and young, and she would play it, and it was so sad. And 
I would. My favorite was the was "Put Your Dreams Away." I really liked that one. So yeah, that is a great song. Well, Tommy yeah. Sandler, thank you so much for your time and for sharing uh, the history of of perhaps one of Canada's yeah. most successful early songwriters. Uh, for those yeah. who didn't know thank enough you. about Ruth Lowe, I hope you learned something tonight. Well, we're also, if I have a second, we're also sure. planning to do a movie on her life, and uh, okay. we're at the very beginning stages with a wonderful producer, a woman, Jamil um, um, uh, Pomeroy from BC. Oh, great. And we've just met her and we have clicked and we hope to get this project on the road and uh, and uh, breathe some new life back into the whole story about my mom and what she did. Tommy, we'll be on the lookout for it. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you very much.